0: So a couple weeks, the Blues Walk is happening. Uh, this is something that Danny organizes with uh, the nonprofit in town. Uh, first there's Jazz Walk, then there's Blues Walk. Uh, it takes about 15 minutes for you to organize that, Danny. Yeah, ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> out of time. Um, North Bend has all these amazing things that happen and I'm a terrible citizen, I snooze through most of them. Um, but I'm not gonna snooze through Blues Walk. So this, uh, we decide, I'm going this year, I threw it out there. The biggest venue, because there's venues all over town, is at the theater. So we'll start there. If you want to join us, uh, join us and we'll make our way around or whatever, we'll we'll meet up. And if you're walking through somewhere else, we'll probably pass at some point as we walk the town in a very bluesy way. I was going to make fun of the way Danny was walking, but he can't hear me. Um, So that's in a couple weeks. I mean, so much starting this month, man. of uh, families and school and soccer and all the fall sports kicking off. NFL beginning. Um, evidently, the fires decided to start burning here in the state of Washington, but I'm happy they waited until this long. Uh, we just have an incredible amount happening. And uh, following our service today, we'd love for you to be able to join us if you're able to stick around for lunch. We haven't done that forever. And so we're kind of, this is kind of like restart, the fall here of 2022 restart. Uh, we're we're done, done with the little, you know, awesome communion cups that all of us are woven. And uh, so, you know, it's gonna be awkward here at the end of the service because we have done this in two years, uh, stood in line for communion. Uh, but it's just kind of the general theme of, of the new normal and us getting back to the rhythm in some things and learning uh, new rhythms in others. So we're starting a new series this fall called A Beginner's Guide to the Kingdom of Heaven. And I wish that I had thought of, of that title all on my own. I didn't, it came from a book written by M. Jill Levine. And uh, I've been following Christ for a long time. I often feel like I could use A Beginner's Guide <laughs> to the Kingdom of Heaven. And uh, there's just a constant process of learning and relearning things that God kind of brings into our life or brings up in our life. And uh, that helps keep me grounded in my relationship with him. And so the idea for this series started last spring. And during Easter, we explored some of the the words of Jesus. You know, we called it Jesus Says. And it's it's really easy to read about what other people say that Jesus said or comment on that. Uh, We kind of decided, what does Jesus say actually about himself? And so uh, that led into another series that we called The Kingdom Is. Because in that series about Jesus, you know, Jesus Says, he talks about the kingdom. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus talks about the kingdom a lot. He uses different phrases, my Father's kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. They're all kind of interchangeable. And he, he, he speaks about the kingdom in teachings, parables, conversations. In fact, um, you know, all the Gospels kind of have this rhythm of, of his birth, his baptism when the Holy Spirit comes upon him in fullness and power. Uh, He's tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And after he overcomes these temptation, he comes out of the wilderness on a mission. And Mark captures this beautifully in, in chapter one, verse 15. Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So Christians like to talk about good news a lot fact i'll talk about it a little later this morning but we've become so fixated on the gift of salvation which is good uh or you could call it deliverance from our sins that jesus gives us uh you know through his death his resurrection we almost overlook the little comment that he makes right before that he says the kingdom of god is near so what why is that good news? And if you would struggle to explain why that might be good news, you're in great company. I mean, Jesus teaching his disciples uh, pretty much about the kingdom all the way up to the end when he left them and ascended back to heaven. The disciples weren't dumb. They were like you and I, just a little slow, okay? And Christians ever since Jesus' time have been a little fuzzy on what it means to live or what the kingdom of heaven means kingdom of God, whatever this kingdom is that Jesus talks about. And it's so different from the world's kingdoms, the, the nations that we know of or have experienced or the groups of people and societies in our world that we're nearly blind to Jesus's kingdom and the possibilities that it leaves for us. And so uh, I shared this example last spring um, to kind of point out the obvious and so if you were here last spring, you'll remember this. Uh, but I've been blessed to know a handful of families from South Africa. In fact, I know that one of our families is here this morning. I saw them when they're coming in. And, and uh, there, there used to be a lot of you, South African families, because there was an employer in town, which has changed hands. And so I know things are kind of in flux. But because of knowing lots of really cool people, from South Africa, it's made me kinda wanna visit there. And you know, I, I could read books on South Africa, blogs, I could watch YouTubes, I could gather all sorts of information about the languages, the culture, the people of South Africa, but it just ain't the same as actually visiting, visiting South Africa, is it? And that visit wouldn't be the same as if I like, spent a whole year there spending a whole year, as wonderful as that might be for my understanding of South Africa, it wouldn't be the same as actually living there for an extended period of time. So the point I'm making is there's a lot of people attending churches across the country, across the globe, that I think kind of get this confused when it comes to following Jesus and his kingdom. You know, just knowing a little or even a lot about the Bible, about God, about Jesus, it isn't the same as actually living In God's kingdom. And there are many, many people over the last two years who've left uh, churches, left their faith behind because they don't see a huge difference between their life and the one that's lived by their neighbors. Other than they occasionally spend a Sunday morning driving to the church equivalent of a box store to consume religious goods and services. I mean, really, why do we do this? What good is it? Knowing things about Jesus isn't the same as knowing Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you will want to live in his kingdom. So one of the reasons, probably the main reason that I still follow Jesus is that I can't imagine living anywhere else but in his kingdom. I do have some bad news, though. You see, um, In fact, it's kind of sobering for all of us who are spiritual narcissists, okay? There's a thing about the kingdom of heaven. It's also filled with other people. There it is. I was excited. I mean, it sounds like paradise, me, myself, and I, amen? That's my kind of Jesus, me, myself, and I, okay? I I can live with that. But other people? Seriously? This is why God gives us a head start here on earth. Um, You know, you and I were made in God's image. And we believe as Christians that God exists in three persons. He lives continually in community. And uh, God is personal he knows and is known. He loves and is loved. He serves and is served. He celebrates and is celebrated. I mean, these are all things that we're meant to do and be as well. And so if a sign of God's presence in my life is what we would call the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. And this is usually where I start to forget and make things up, right? Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Did I miss some? I got a thumbs up from someone. You know, these are the things, like as the Holy Spirit is in us and transforming us, this is stuff that just happens. What good is joy if you can't share it with anybody? Why would we need to have patience if heaven is this far off and alone existence? God designed us to live in relationship with him And with one another. And he's starting that process of redemption right now. So if the last two years you were ticked off at the rest of humanity, but especially what some of those Christians wrote on their Facebook page or whatever they did, the flags they flew out in front of their house, well, good. Because if it was easy to get along with others, other broken people in a fallen world, What's the point? God is working on us, working in us. And so, uh, you know, things like forgiveness and patience and grace, I mean, these don't necessarily come naturally, but they're in there. It's a reflection of God in us. And this is who God is. We can do it too. So we kind of need some help. We we need a, a primer, a beginner's guide to the kingdom of heaven. And that's how we're going to do this. So the gospel of Matthew has provided us uh, kind of introductory lessons in what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. That's our name for it. Jesus didn't name it that. We've kind of decided that these chapters in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7, they have this name, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the author I mentioned earlier, Amy Jill Levine, She wrote this, she said, the kingdom of heaven occurs when people take the words of Jesus in these chapters to heart and live into them. So that's what we're gonna try and do this fall. We're gonna read the words of Jesus, we're gonna study the words of Jesus, we're gonna hear the words of Jesus, we're gonna internalize the words of Jesus, we're gonna live into them. So the Sermon on the Mount was like Jesus's most popular sermon ever. And whether or not he preached the whole thing from start to finish, we don't know. It could be like the best of the anthology that Matthew decided, you know, these are the ones that we should remember and he put them all together. He could have sat down on a hillside and delivered the whole thing. I mean, that's very possible as well. But it's the most famous collection of Jesus' teaching found anywhere in the Bible. It's been admired by so many people throughout history. People like Gandhi and Karl Marx. They weren't even Christians, but they thought Jesus' word, uh, words were profound. Leo Tolstoy, author of War and Peace. Never read it. <laughs> right? That's most funny. I'm sorry. Uh, he's, he's like the most famous author ever, right? Anna Karenina. I did have to read that in high school. That was excellent. I've watched the movie several times. I digress. Leo became a Christian around his fiftieth birthday. And for years and years and years he was haunted by the futility of life as he saw it. But he found renewed hope and meaning in Jesus' sermon. You know, even Martin Luther King Jr., the inspiration for the, the peaceful protests of the civil rights movement were rooted right here in Jesus' message, the Sermon on the Mount. So G.K. Chesterton, he was an author. Uh, Most of us have seen the Netflix series Father Brown, which was Chesterton's uh, character. He wrote this. He said, on first reading the Sermon on the Mount, you feel that it turns everything upside down. But the second time you read it, you discover that it turns everything right side up. The first time you read it and feel that it's impossible. The second time you feel that nothing else is possible. So many people like Chesterton were were challenged and inspired at the same time by statements like this of Jesus. Blessed are the poor. We'll put this on the screen for you. This is how the sermon starts out. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for, for they will inherit the earth. You jump ahead a little bit. Jesus says in verse 21, chapter 5, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Yeah, that's a good one, Jesus. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Gulp. you what that's an easy one for me not really i i would live to be a hundred if i could add uh, you know by worrying every hour i could add that to the end of my life unfortunately that's not how it works then in matthew 7 jesus says why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother or sister's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye amen how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your own eye when all the time there's a plank in yours you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother or sister's eye. These are hard, but there's something there that calls the best out of us. And the Sermon on the Mount represents the heart of Jesus' teaching. It paints a picture of what a person looks like who follows Jesus' way. And the response Jesus is after is to follow him. Or another way of saying that, which I don't like, is to obey him. You know, we're gonna have to be thoughtful on how we can best follow Jesus's first century teachings in the 21st century world that we live in. But there's no mistake, Jesus expects us to do what he says. And it's not just all willpower or effort on our part. It's meant to be done with his spirit living inside of us, empowering us to do things that we can't do on our own. And that's what makes way for a new life. Theologian Stanley Hauerwas, he sums up this vision that Jesus shares for his kingdom by saying this. He says, I I think we have this up on the screen for you too. When he called his society together, Jesus gave his members a new way of life to live. He gave them a new way to deal with offenders by forgiving them. He gave them a new way to deal with violence by suffering. He gave them a new way to deal with money by sharing it. He gave them a new way to deal with problems of leadership by drawing on the gift of every member, even the most humble. Jesus gave them a new way to deal with a corrupt society by building a new one, not smashing the old. He gave them a new pattern of relationship between man and woman, between parent and child, between master and slave, in which was made concrete a radical new vision of what it means to be a human person. He gave them a new attitude towards the state and towards the enemy nation. So my hope this fall and kind of walking through this sermon together is to provide a catalyst to you, also to us, you know, it doesn't matter where you are on your own personal journey. I mean, whether you have no faith, some faith, deep faith. The words of Jesus here can be a springboard to something new. But especially to us as a community, because that's what a church is. It's not just the four walls. It's a, it's a community of God's people. I mean, some of us haven't really figured out. We're far on our way. No, we're, we're constantly a mess. We're imperfect we're hypocrites, but we keep trying. And with God's help, he's forming and shaping us into being new people, different people, a people. And so my hope is that by kind of walking through this message together, a beginner's guide to the kingdom of heaven, that the spirit will do a work in us Because in the midst of a really busy, sometimes overwhelming, often frustrating, and occasionally you fill in the blank daily life, there is a way to live with hope and peace and grace and joy. And so Jesus begins his sermon without a lot of fanfare. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We'll dig deeper into this next week. This is what are called the blesseds, or the beatitudes. You ever wonder why he started this way? It makes no sense. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. I mean, who does that apply to? The amazing kickoff to this whole message is just the start. Blessed are those who mourn. I mean, you might not have anything in common with people that you meet, uh, especially when you think about all the different cultures and places around the world, unless you think about mourning or the experience of loss and grief and disappointment, in Jesus' kingdom, people like that are comforted. but I want to look at verse one just how this begins when it says Jesus saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside and sat down it's a it's this weird habit that Jesus had whenever a large crowd of people gathered he left I, I mean Jesus had a lot to learn about our sophisticated practice of marketing right I mean, the more followers, the more influence, the more impact, the more money. Amen. But yet Jesus seems to bail on every opportunity. Leading up to this, uh, he's begun to preach in public. Probably the best thing that he had going for him was his health care program. He would heal people of diseases. And so they would bring Jesus, people suffering from injuries, from Uh, illnesses he would heal them and maybe it's just that he had compassion fatigue i don't know maybe he didn't understand how to leverage his popularity for influence maybe jesus didn't care to monetize his opportunities it's not clear but what is clear about jesus is that he would regularly retreat from the crowd he would go away to pray he would take his disciples and go somewhere else interesting to think about that in our day You know, we live in a celebrity culture, in case you didn't know. Uh, The way that we get things done is by growing the largest following, making the biggest splash, the most noise. Sometimes it's being the most obnoxious and that usually works out pretty well. And then that equates into like impact or influence or money or whatever it is that we're chasing after, approval to get noticed, ambition, our appetites. But Jesus does just the opposite. He avoids all that stuff. Evidently, it doesn't further his cause. He sees the crowds. He heads up a mountainside into the hills. And on this occasion, he teaches his disciples. We don't know. I mean, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says says this. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Wait a minute, the crowds were amazed? I thought that he was just with his disciples. I don't know, maybe they were both, both his disciples and his crowds. But since Jesus walked the earth, there's always been a group of people, a crowd who's taken notice, people who are interested in Jesus, who are drawn to him, who just want to figure out what all the fuss is about. Some choose to become disciples, to commit their life and try and follow him. Others don't. But as the sermon starts out, Jesus is speaking to his kind of immediately, immediate followers, not just the 12 disciples, but the group of people who are said, I want to learn more. In fact, it's kind of an interesting exercise to just simply imagine yourself there on that day. This could be something you could do at home this week. Pull out your Bible or, you know, a Bible app. Have it read to you from Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And ask yourself where you would be. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? What do you feel? Put yourself in the story. Where are you? Are you with the disciples? or you part of the crowd. Maybe you're just standing off to the side by yourself listening. It's always okay to be a part of the crowd to wonder about Jesus, to have questions about faith. But there is a difference between exploring and seeking and just watching the show. The gateway to the kingdom of heaven is through our response to Jesus' stories. It's more than something that happens up here, just an intellectual exercise. It's something that needs to happen here. It's a response in action to follow him. So how we choose to respond is always related to the question, who is Jesus anyway? I know that speaking to a church full of people on Sunday morning, that most of you have probably decided who he was. But that's not always the case. It's also really common for us to kind of forget like oh yeah we have a very functional lack of faith in God and in Christ himself and so it's always a good exercise just to go through who is Jesus was he just a first century Jew is he a revolutionary leader in my life a brilliant teacher a prophet a worker of miracles or is he the son of God so throughout this fall, I'm going to continually kind of come back to that, to our response. Because our response to his teachings is shaped by our response to him as a person. And so as we kind of end our time together this morning, we get to celebrate communion with one another. And communion is this ongoing practice that Jesus asked us to do um, 2,000 years ago. and It's something that's for the followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then you don't celebrate communion. But the power and the beauty of what that means, the word communion, is that we're here together with one another in person, hallelujah, but we also believe that We're in communion. We have a connection with Jesus who's still alive and still present in our life. And that we actually have a day-to-day relationship with him that means something. And so as we kind of transition into our time at the table, um, we celebrate God's presence in and with us each and every moment of every day. We celebrate being able to be together. As frustrating as that might be, sometimes it's also good and deep and joyful to be with one another. And so I want to invite you as I start my liturgy here, if I can find the actual page, I want to invite you to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and all of you who put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and desire to follow him as the leader of their life, all of you who repent of your sins and would be delivered from them, all who would walk in love with their neighbor and intend to live a new life through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are invited to this table. Come to this sacred table not because you must, because you may. Not to make a statement about how righteous religious you might be, but to state that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ, you desire his presence. And so as we prepare ourselves as individuals and also as a group of people, I invite you to take just a moment of silent confession and prayer to ready your hearts. Take a moment and do so now. Lord, you tell us that when we confess our sins and our shortcomings, that you hear them. You cleanse us. You show us mercy and grace. You forgive us. And for that, we are grateful. Help us to walk anew, you, your son, once again. We pray this in your name. Amen. You all get an A+. You did that marvelously. Uh, please rise for the benediction. Uh, just as a reminder, we directly following this at that end of the building, uh, we've got a taco bar. Uh, we have to eat it all before anybody can goes home. So, you know, that's the challenge. No, you're, we would love to have you join us if you're able to. Uh, we're gonna be doing it again. Cause you know, for the pandemic, that was one of the hard things about, we just couldn't be together. And so, you know, we've got a meal this month. We're going to do another one in October. We've got, uh, we're bringing back the chili cook-off and the turkey bowl in November. Yes, excited for that one. Uh, so, so if you're not able to stay this week, you know, catch, catch us next month. We would love to see you. Go in God's blessing, God's presence, God's peace as you walk with him throughout your week. Amen? Amen. 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 God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.